catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Andrew Henderson runs Nomad Capitalist, a company that helps people relocate, lower their tax burden, and upgrade their lifestyle. We chat about why he feels the U.S. is offering a bad deal to its taxpayers, the ethics of trying to reduce or even eliminate your taxes, and how Andrew's own childhood struggle shaped his philosophy of going where you're treated best. What have you found when you've sort of looked inside that motivates you? Because I found the same thing in myself and in other friends. I think you're probably achieving at a higher financial success than I am. But when I look at people, it, it Michael Jordan, I think you might have mentioned with The Last Dance, there's this demon that seems to haunt people, this hungry ghost that is never enough, never enough, never enough. And while I've certainly experienced the benefit of more success, more money, more access to people that I might be interested in spending time with, uh, I've had to question, like, I've blown past goals and they haven't been as meaningful as I thought they would be. Yeah. And so that's, that's caused some reflection. So I'm curious what, what you've found as you've sort of grown your business. Well, a couple of things, and I'll talk about the second part last, or first, is I watched the Bill Gates documentary, I think in 2019 on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And Bill Gates sent 20 letters to universities saying, hey, I'm doing a big research project on was it sanitation. I think like nobody replied. And I'm like, oh, my God, Bill Gates messaged the universities. They didn't reply. And I've seen numerous examples culminating with a week ago, I'm watching Mr. Beast talk about how he went and hired people because there was nobody. You know, it, there's not a lot of native YouTube people. Like, we look at this. I don't know what you find. Like, it's not a lot mm-hmm. of people who are, like, experienced mega channel managers. You kind of have to build that. It's the yeah. one thing in marketing where it seems like it's hard to find. So Mr. Beast is like, I hired guys who produced big game shows on TV. And they came in and insulted me, basically. Like, you're just on YouTube. Like, I'm the guy. You know, you need TV. And he's like, wait a second. Like, we have more viewers than, like, all your game shows. And I realized most people don't get it. And everyone's being treated this way by people in society. And the idea of, like, you thought, for me, like, the idea when I was 16, I would read GQ. And there was a guy in a trench coat walking down a city street, New York, Tokyo, whatever, with a beautiful woman. And you're like, that's what it looks like when you get to the other side of success. And everyone just does what you ask. And your employees do what you want. And people respect you. And they return your call. And you're like, they don't return Bill Gates' call. (laughs) And so for me, the motivation, I suppose, was growing up where I had people in my family who doubted me. You know, I was told, like, listen, kind of too far of a version of you're always wrong. It's always your fault. Like Mm -hmm. taking responsibility is a good thing, but it went too far. Combined with, you know, childhood bullying. It's like you're a loser. The goal is 
don't be a loser anymore. Be the guy mm-hmm. who's with the beautiful woman in the beautiful trench coat. And then you can go out. You can buy that trench coat. It's $3,000. You can get the beautiful woman. You can walk down the streets of Tokyo. You can, But you're right. There's still something that's missing. And you've got to realize, like, wait a second. You know, the people who told you you were talentless when you were 17 years old, like, they've all moved on. And if you're trying to keep move the goal, moving the goalpost, you're never going to be happy. Yes. I so much the same thing. Uh, and I see that in my circle. Uh, tremendous amounts of responsibility taking, probably beyond what is healthy, which yep. creates this ability to succeed at an extremely high level. Because when somebody does something that uh, messes something up, you don't blame them. You go, how can I fix this? How can Correct. I fix this? How can I fix this? Yeah. And it there's an, added, there's an adaptive part of that, which is now your business has someone inside of it who is going to make things work come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... That level of extreme responsibility taking of it's all my fault, I, I think it does sometimes come from a place of it's all my fault, which is not yeah. always going to lead to the healthiest of mindsets. I, yes, and I think that if you grew up, I, w- I would call it like the Protestant upbringing where there's a certain humility. I grew up mm-hmm. in the Midwest United States. There's a humility, you know, they call it salt of the earth, whatever you want to call it, um, Hey, like you're no better than anybody else. And I believe that, you know, I think you probably in many cases believe you're worse than other people, but you're right. Like it seems odd in that upbringing that there's some limit to too much responsibility, as you say, but I can tell you, I read Peter Thiel's book uh, from zero to one. And he said, if you don't build your company in the right foundation, you're going to have a lot of pain on doing that. And I can tell you, I think our companies run pretty well. I mean, customer satisfaction, obviously there's a small percentage of people that are vocal, but I think generally the metrics have been good. We've accomplished a lot, but there's still been a lot of stuff that's set on the shelf. And I feel, I felt that some of the people weren't giving me the respect. Maybe they respected the customer, but they didn't really believe in me. And I looked at it and I said, and for, for there were a couple of years where I'm like, no, 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 it must be because I'm not communicating well. I must not be doing something right. And I think that that attitude where you figure any amount of responsibility, it's never too much, leads to where you bring people into your life. Could be in a job or business, could be in your personal life, where anything that happens, it's your fault. And you'll see people start to manipulate that. Mm -hmm. How do you undo that foundation? It's difficult. I didn't expect it to go in this direction, but I have yeah. had the same experience recently, which is, and I never would have thought that, uh, the healthy level of responsibility, which was the cause, I would say, of the first couple million dollars that came into the business, yeah. became, why isn't this uh, employer-employee relationship working? I must have not communicated clearly enough. That, that, uh, that they didn't do the thing that I thought that I said, and they said, well, you didn't tell me three times. It was, oh, yeah. a good leader tells someone three times. Right. <laughs> and uh, undoing that, I'm curious if you've come across the word codependency in, in oh, your own sure. studies. Oh, really? So can you tell me how you've, for my own curiosity, how you've begun to work through that? Because I am very much in that stage and I've made some progress, but uh, it's it's heartening <laughs> to hear. I suppose, I mean, I said, well, listen, I, and I, I got together a group of my friends who were entrepreneurs because I started to realize that people had, they all had this same problem and they all think mm-hmm. it's them. And that's what makes them successful. But what is it that I think Alex Hermosi says, like every super successful person, a Jeff Bezos or something, he doesn't have something you ha- extra that you don't have. He, ha- he doesn't have something that you do. And I think that mm-hmm. that's the issue for those of us where we're like struggling with 
perhaps it is codependency in some cases, you want them to fill a certain role. There were probably times when I wanted to be more of a control freak or, uh, you know, wanted to really control the process. And I think, listen, I think, you know, Lamborghini, I saw the movie, the Lamborghini movie. I mean, that guy was a control freak because the product was great. Um, but, you know, I, you wanted to have that codependent relationship in some regard where they weren't doing as much as they should so that you could solve the problem and come in and create the perfection. Um, but I think mm -hmm. there's probably all kinds of different codependent relationships, certainly in, in love life, but I, I, I guess in, in, in business relationships, yeah, where you expect things to go a certain way and they don't. Uh, and then what you find yourself doing is you're like, oh, I'll send them a telegram message. And then they like never respond. You're like, okay, I'll send them an email. Or like, I'll ask for this. <laughs> yes, for yes. This. And, and, and you're pivoting. And then they're like, this company is chaotic. It's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. you couldn't follow the standard protocol. So I tried to adapt to you. And then nothing worked. And then you're mm -hmm. like, this is out of control. Yeah. There's this. And I'm. this is one of the things I've loved about business is that it, like everything in life, is a mirror for the leader. And it becomes an opportunity to have your own personal I don't want to say problems, but issues reflected back to you and yep. gives you a, uh, not that the number is the only thing, but it will magnify, amplify, and show you the areas in which you are, uh, have yet to develop fully as a human, which I think is really, has been a blessing in the business because whereas you can sort of overlook things in relationships that maybe are romantic and eh, it's hard, it's a little bit of a messy thing in a business, clearly people have had successful, well-functioning businesses that do good in the world, do good by their customers and treat their employees well. So if I'm not able to hit that, uh, not necessarily ideal, but if it go increasingly in that direction, it is a reflection, and especially in a small business, of me and systems that I've set up, people that I've put in place and habits that I've allowed to persist over time. No. Obviously, it starts from the top, and I've looked at mm -hmm. um, this is not the first business where I feel at times I've been deprioritized. I remember I was in the radio business in the U.S. for a long time, but one year I got into Shark Tank, and I said, I'm going to buy a side hustle. I tried to invest in my friend's company, but he didn't want to do it. So I said, okay, basically I had a need to have my swimming pool cleaned. I invested in a company that cleans swimming pools. And I remember the one full year that we were in operation, we kind of put together a bunch of different swimming pool companies and then sold it a year and a half later. But the one kind of big summer we were in operation, my swimming pool was unusable at my house for like a while. That was why I started the business was I want mm -hmm. someone to come and clean my pool because the companies were so responsive and I can do better and I'll just invest in a company and whatever. But I always was like, oh, you have like seven sales calls to get to this afternoon. Okay, fine. Like do me tomorrow. And I think that that attitude that goes back to what we talked about earlier was pervasive and it kind of applied in many areas. I mean, I myself at times have said, oh, you're all busy with lots of clients. Okay, my bank account opening uh, that we do for people. Okay, if I put, put mine at the bottom of the pile. And then it just kind of becomes where people pick up on that. Like, ah, oh, he'll put himself at the bottom of the pile, which I, you think is the right thing to do, but sometimes the, the, the lines of communication there aren't clear. And so I think that, you know, the, the attitude that you bring, I think there's probably times where, you know, we have a great company. I think that during the pandemic, we were probably the most profitable company out of everyone in the residence and citizenship space and a lot of the, like a lot of the spaces that we compete in. And yet I think because of that attitude, we never really give ourselves a lot of credit and therefore probably other people don't give you credit. Now, maybe that's a good competitive mm -hmm. tactic to seem much smaller than you are, but <laughs> it's so indicative to me of the fact that 
you know, the, the attitude you bring in is going to dictate things. And then you see companies that like aren't maybe doing as well, but they're led by someone who's, you know, more boastful, let's say. And people think, oh, that's the company. And so I think that probably a lot of people are competing against the wrong companies and taking the wrong lessons because they're watching people with these attitudes that aren't reflective of reality. But it all comes down from the top, yeah. good or bad. One of the things I hear implicit in your responses is, and I'm curious how it's evolved, there's this idea of respect, which is not necessarily tied to the money that you make, right? So the the boastful guy might be have a ton of uh, status outside of the industry and people look at him, but there might be somebody who isn't as boastful who is earning much more money. And then there's somebody else who is not earning as much money but lives in a place that they love. And I guess I'm asking here about values. You've started in one place where maybe what you wanted was respect from the people who doubted you as you were growing up. I'm curious, yeah. as you've had higher and higher levels of success, which of those values have shifted for you? I wish I could say it shifted more than it did, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think to a certain extent, some of that stuff haunts you until you really get a hold on it. I've, I've, had, I've mm-hmm. been working on self-awareness around that for 20 years in personal development and uh, all, you know, in, in working with people uh, on a personal level, um, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's hard to entirely get rid of what I have felt more comfortable doing, which perhaps is just a matter of age, although experience factors in, I suppose, is just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. I think as guys, perhaps it's easier to work into that, you know, when you're 23 and you're working in your business and you're not going out, you're not really having a lot of fun. You feel badly about that. And when you're 33 or 38 or whatever, as I am now, you're just like, I'm going to do what I want. Um, so I mean, Mm -hmm. I think I've become more comfortable just doing what I want and being who I am. But again, I go back to the point where you've got to surround yourself with the right people because if you have that fragile uh, sense of self and you bring in someone, for example, we found you can't, we can't hire someone. A lot of my entrepreneur friends said the same. We all thought the pinnacle was hiring someone from a big corporation. You hired a guy who worked for Warren Buffett or who worked at Unilever, who worked at, okay, now you finally, now we're cooking. Now I'm a real somebody. And it really is hard for those people to adapt. And then they'll often come in and try and minimize you. You know, you and I have brands that are largely driven by by us. They want to minimize that because they want to make you into where they came from. And that's going to attack that sense of self. So you've got to really surround yourself with the right people who nurture the kind of business that you've built. Because I think it's very easy to find mm-hmm. people who will tear down, oh, this is the problem with the business. It's too dependent on one person or it's too dependent on organic social media. We have to fix that. Maybe we do, but there's oftentimes a reflection of uh, this is bad because it's not what worked at some other company. And I think you have to be very careful with that. And I think, again, I mean, it's the same thing Mr. Beast talks about. I mean, you've got to find a community of folks where maybe you've got to teach them. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's, a, that's a challenge that uh, I, I think it's easy to go back to your original question. I think it's easier to kind of fall back sometimes you make progress and then you attach yourself with someone and then you kind of step back because they're like no you've been doing it wrong and if there's Mm -hmm. one thing a lot of people from that corporate world do i think is that for them job security is telling you how everything needs to be fixed and it's hard for them to understand in many cases yeah just 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 make it just just nurture it and make it better Yes. The the thing that I think I did wrong that you're sort of crystallizing, not did wrong, but it, that I have yeah. learned is I wanted yeah. to have an evolved 
workplace, which was like, look, it, we're bottom up. Everybody gets a say. Everybody contributes. Mm-hmm. We all have these collective meetings. And where I, I think that there's value to that, but I think that perhaps, I'm not certain, but what I'm going to test is the thing that cannot be a democracy is the vision. Because at least in the way that I've done things, you get this scenario that you have where a big personality comes in and wants to make it Unilever. And then somebody else says that it needs to be YouTube. And somebody else says this. And that I have not found a way to work out. It's like, look, we need to be rowing in the same direction. There needs to be a filter on who comes in that is interested in moving in this direction. I'm not going to micromanage you and tell you every single little thing. I will allow you the space to make mistakes, screw up, take swings that, that don't wind up working. But if I'm not clear as the leader on the vision and I'm not, sure. you know, the, whatever, I forget what it's called, the coxman in the, uh, in the boat telling you guys that we're going this way. Uh, it seems that things have broken down. So I don't know that that's the place that I'll land, but I think that that is something that I, I went a bit too democratic at points in the business and, and uh, abdicated, I think the leadership role that, that was necessary. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I think we made it a little bit more complicated because I always thought if I'm going to be the nomad, I've got to live it in every aspect of my life. And that included where we hire people. Uh, and so mm-hmm. you go to places in Eastern Europe, for example, they expect strength. Sometimes too much kindness is viewed as weakness and will be used against you. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you don't come in with that vision, like they expect you to do that. And so in a sense, like you can say that's a culture where they want you to lead. I mean, Asian cultures may be in a different way. They want you to lead. You're going to have to micromanage some people in Asian cultures. And so it's different. And so if you, I mean, I can tell you, we've had people from the West who come in and try and manage teams that aren't Western and say, hey, let's be democratic. And they're like, we can, we can, we can stop all over this guy. So I think that um, mm. having a vision for what you want to do, but yeah, that, that has to be, like, what's the one thing you can't replace yourself in? It's the vision because you built it to where it is. And what's really been crystallizing for you know. me in the last year or two is the number of people that I've talked to who have said, I had an idea to start a business. Maybe I worked in some other role where, you know, I was one of the, the group. Now I'm in a business that's founder led and I realize this isn't for me. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I almost look at entrepreneurship these days as kind of a sickness for some of the aforementioned reasons. Like you almost can't help yourself. Oh, geez. I, I don't know about you. When I wanted to be an entrepreneur back at 12 or 13, like in the late 90s, it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur. It was like, well, I almost think it's like something that you have to do. And so if you have to do it, you have to figure out like, what's the one thing I can't replace myself. And it's, and it is the vision. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The, I, I wanted to ask actually, cause you, I saw a video, it's, it was several months back where you were sort of saying, you know, I'm not going to be doing as many YouTube videos. I'm going to take a step yeah. back. There's toxic elements of content creation that I just don't want to participate in. And honestly, yeah. it's not even the, the, those big videos aren't even attracting our clientele because our clientele are these very niche people that have specific yeah. questions about the passport regime and some random country. And then I've seen you sort of more present on the channel. And I'm curious uh, if there was a reversal in that thinking. Well, somewhat perhaps. I mean, one thing I watched during the mm-hmm. pandemic, I, I did a deep dive into like the business side of Disney. I read Bob Iger's book and I watched a lot about what Michael Eisner did in the 90s. And I got a lot of kind of positive momentum 
that Michael Eisner in the 90s at Disney started like so many different units, most of which failed. There's no more Mickey's Cafe. Basically, they were like, everyone that's honing in on our business around Disney World or around anything else, we're going to try and compete with them and just take that business for ourselves. And most of those failed. And it was kind of a reminder for me that, you know, you're not a loser, you're a learner. And so I said, okay, now, I try and be very transparent. I mean, I read Ray Dalio's book. I love the radical transparency. I thought, hey, let's bring the audience along for the ride. So it's somewhat a reverse. So we somewhat tried something. I think kind of the, the softening of that is, you know, two days ago, we launched kind of a separate channel, which is going to have to grow on its own, where that's the team. People who are maybe more uh, into the facts will watch that. Uh, I'm more of a storyteller. So those folks will watch yeah. that. And they can choose. They can watch one. They can watch both. And so maybe the team uh, channel creates, you know, some level of its own clientele that wants that. So I'm doing half as many videos and it just kind of came down to an algorithm conversation. Hey, like you're putting out one a day, it's probably not letting the videos breathe. And rather than like letting other people on your channel that people aren't used to and they don't watch as long, isolate them somewhere else. So we're putting up the same amount of content. I'm doing a little bit more than I expected when I said that. Um, but I think my goal was to do about 40% of the content. Now I'll do 50%. It'll just be segregated on different platforms rather than being on one channel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think what I realized in that process was, I remember I sat at one of our clients' dinner tables a few years ago, and he said, hey, you know, bring your, bring your wife. And we sat there for lunch. His butler served us lunch. And she says, the guy praised you all throughout lunch. This guy's a billionaire. He invites you to his, his, his home. And you're going to go home and look at, you know, fart sniffer 7-Eleven and take that guy as an equal. And I think mm -hmm. I probably got, you know, like a lot of us do, caught up too much in that. Went back to the childhood, you know, frustrations and said, you know what? You know, okay, I'm going to do less of this. Um, and I think I realized, you know, it was a time for renewal of self-confidence. Say, wait That's a awesome. second. There's a lot of people who like what we're doing. And by the way, I think that even though maybe we pivoted a little bit on the message, the connection of saying, here's why I'm frustrated today and here's my background, I think mm -hmm. shed some light that I thought a lot of the audience, I mean, people who want to move overseas to save some money, the media says it's all about taxes. If you're willing to move overseas, and in my case, give up your citizenship, it's not about taxes, right? I mean, I... I I, I, I'm not going to go back to the U.S. again to save a few bucks. I mean, if I really wanted to go back, the bucks, the few bucks wouldn't matter. There was some wound there. Yeah. And I think that talking about my background of, you know, traumas hopefully resonated with some folks to encourage them to be self-aware. 100%. That, that video was the reason that I said I want to talk to Andrew. And I've watched your channel for a while. Uh, I yeah. see that. I don't, I don't know how many people else and I can only speak for myself but that level of openness and vulnerability I connected to and maybe right. one day I'll have questions and and work together financially but I, I do think yeah. that scary as it can be as long as it's not maudlin and become and I, I don't think you would ever go this direction of like you know just every day doing a mukbang where you cry on YouTube about the problems right. of your life when you are open about the struggles that you have that human connection is tough to quantify, but I think has very positive results in the end, even if it invites a little bit of 
uh, fart sniffer seven eleven attacks <laughs> into, into your well, comment like, section. I, th- I think it doesn't because I think it's like where are you going to go? I mean, you know, oh. I've, 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 I've debated almost like you know uh, again. You have I think right now it's probably four percent of lifetime clients that have had some frustrations, and I almost feel like talking about it. I mean, some of them perhaps have some reasonable frustrations. I think some of them, it's just, I mean, there was a guy where it was like two years after his contract expired, he called and we're like, okay, we'll help you. Here's the fee. And he got angry and then changed the five star to a one star. I think if you were to open up and talk about that, I mean, other entrepreneurs understand. I mean, so my, my channel is about business. And so if you talk about, you know, hey, we made some sales calls and someone yelled at it. I mean, whatever. I don't know. I mean, people identify mm-hmm. with that. And I think there's a catharsis for you, the person doing it. But I think, again, I mean, you're talking about stuff where maybe you felt you were alone. I got a bunch of guys who think they're alone. I, I think there's not enough vulnerability to where people who are doing unique stuff feel like, you know, they feel like they're the only ones. I think someone's got to open up. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Alex Ramosi. He's talked about stuff where I'm like, you know, I kind of wanted to say that. But I felt like maybe to use your words, it's a little too maudlin. But yeah, good for you for talking about like your parents and yeah. I, I think it takes the wind out because it humanizes you in a way where people realize this is, you know, there's so many fake people on, on social media. This isn't fake. This is real life. And it does humanize it. And I think it takes the wind out of anyone's sales. What are you going to say to that? I'm glad you were beaten up. Yeah. I mean. And so uh, people who haven't seen the video and you don't have to go t- any more into detail than you want, but basically you were talking in that video about how the business had some toxic elements and you were seeing uh, competitors do nasty things. And like you mentioned, people yeah. switch one-star reviews, which sort of reminded you, and this can take us into, I, it seems like the arc of your life very naturally led to the business that you have, which is go where you're treated best because yes. you felt not treated well throughout your childhood. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my father gave me this great permission slip uh, when I was 12 or 13 years old about the time I was getting into entrepreneurship. We would talk about, hey, the West is not going to be the place to be. Um you know, Jim Rogers is speaking at our event this year. I mean, he, he wrote the book Adventure Capitalist, and he was talking about what are going to be the next boom economies back in the late 90s. And, you know, the world has changed. And so the idea from my parents was go where you're treated best. It may not always be here. Don't think you're going to stay here out of some kind of pride. Um, you know, I'm from Ohio. We're not very prideful people, right, <laughs> Cleveland. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think that, you know, the idea of living in other countries, certainly we've made a business out of talking about, you know, things like the tax elements. And I think, listen, I, I have certain political views. I, I you know, probably think taxes in the U.S. are far too high. But and there has to be something else there. At least for me, there's something else there um, mm-hmm. where, yeah, um, there's a motivation. And yet I think that if I were to look at the kind of businesses that I've run, they are a reflection of the fact that it's what I'm familiar with. You know, I always joke like, and maybe I did in that video, like I'm, my next business, I'm going to sell like sports bras or something. Cause I imagine like that's a business where like all your customers are like always like, Oh my God, like I'm so happy. Like, Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> like I've never had that because I feel like I didn't grow up with that. That would be uncomfortable for me. Too much love mm-hmm. would be like, would be a little uncomfortable for me. And so I imagine yeah. I've been in like hard-nosed businesses selling to entrepreneurs who can be a little brusque at times. Um, yeah, and listen, I'm in a business now 
nobody used their real face before I did, I don't think. I mean, there were law firms and stuff, but nobody like publicly. It was all like stock images and pen names and like, because it was scummy. And I said, there must mm -hmm. be people like me who are very legit. They want to do everything the proper way, who want the opportunities that I've been seeking of living somewhere else. My initial motivation was social. I traveled a lot. I found the girls in other countries seemed to like me better. And I'm like, all right, I can do this. And what do I do with my taxes? How do I adapt? What, how does immigration work? And I said, there must be other people like me who are legit people who don't identify with the sleeves. And yet I feel like... Mm even though we've, we've, we've got a lot of people to kind of borrow the tactics, some of the sleaze still exists. And, and it's been a reflection. It, it's been interesting to confront that and say, why is it I choose to be in things that have a certain amount of that? I think it's because the, oh my God, you look so beautiful, would be uncomfortable. Hmm. When you say, just to clarify, when you say sleaze, you mean people that, for instance, uh, to take a small example, are not living their full 180 days in Florida, but are actually spending more time in New York, but are claiming Florida residents. <laughs> You're talking people that like sort of cheat the codes. What do you mean when you say sleaze in the industry? Maybe some, maybe some of that, but I mean, like, obviously everything's competitive, but when we found a guy mm -hmm. who is like paying someone to make up stuff against me and put that out, I guess one of the guys yeah. just deleted a bunch of stuff. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That happens in certain industries, the mafia maybe, but I don't know, like, you know, somebody who's again, you know, like competing in the sports bra industry is like, hey, listen, like uh, you over there, like here's some money in a bag, like go talk. I don't know that it happens. I mean, they compete on a natural, healthy yeah. level. There's not like kind of like mafioso tactics behind the scenes. Mm. I'm not sure that. So my brother sells may, 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 like maybe just, just consumer products. About it. Maybe everyone's like that. I think that where there is money to be made, there are sociopaths that do not, or Machiavellians, to put it with a less moral edge, but my brother sells consumer products and he regularly gets false DMCA claims sure. that they know if they bombard him with, they can shut down his website for X period of time. They steal his stuff. Like those, and I've seen the same thing. It's, uh, unfortunately, I think it's a way of the world and it is, I'm glad that you haven't, that there's a tendency and I felt it as soon as we had our first fake negative review or somebody that just came at me, I was like, I, I don't part of me. Thank God. Not all of me. It was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to have that tall poppy syndrome where my head is standing out over the rest and I get cut down in that way. And that was a lesson for me uh, about, okay, similar to what you learned. How are you received by your friends and family and loved ones? Do you feel that you're being a good person? Are you have you clarified your own morals and values? And are you living in line with them, or are you going to be ripped off your course by the fact that the world has seven billion people and you're on the internet? <laughs> You've been seen by one of them that has issues, or a dozen of them that have issues. So I I know that concern. And I think the issue maybe with some of the people that we I mean I'll, I'll just speak from my own experience when you didn't have a super close family. Um, when you're not mm. sure, right? When, if, you know, when, yes. when you when you are receptive to, oh, this you know, fart sniffer says you're not a good person. Well, maybe maybe I'm not a good. Maybe he's right. Maybe right. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone has their own incentives to think that. So, I mean, those are the challenges. I will say this: one of the most impactful things a friend of mine said to me. Uh, he said, you know, I, I had followed you before we met, and I said, he said, you always seemed kind, which I, I didn't really have that word said that often, but he said, winners can tell other winners. I do like that about what I do. You know, I'm not selling, uh, you know, cookies where I have to appeal to the masses. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that we work with 
have some level of success. And I think that there's some level where they can see through that, especially when people start doing stuff, which is a little sleazy. I think that's, it's like sleazy people think the way sleazy people think, right? Um, so I think that appeals to people like that, um, which is the good mm -hmm. news. And I think it's probably yeah. a lesson to everybody to say, just, you know, go for the people that are the good people and that they will see past that. Yes, yes, I very much agree with that. One, I, I didn't realize this as I was researching you, it occurred to me that I, some of the ideas that inform the philosophy behind Nomad Capitalist, which I've watched just, I've never done any tax regime changes or anything like that, but yeah. I was big into the four-hour work week and the idea of geo-arbitrage and uh, live somewhere that you can afford without breaking your back. That has been something that I've lived with for 10 or 15 years. I wound up in California, so not not, not exactly. You live on the beach, man. The yes, yes. Well, that was that was something that I know that you recognize. Maybe we'll go this direction. That it's not, like you said, just about reducing your tax burden. It is about figuring out what you value. And I think fundamentally realizing that the place that you were born or the place that you went to college and wound up is probably not the number one place in the world to have those values realized. And whether I wind up in California or not, that I've lived in a lot of places and I've had the good fortune to do that. So I, I think that even people who aren't super high net worth can benefit from this philosophy. And I just want you to talk about it a little bit. Well, by the way, you know, I mean, California is a beautiful place. I happen to think there's a lot of other places that look like California or that have some of the attributes people like. But I would say if someone goes through a thoughtful can you, process, can you can you quickly tell me what those places are? Because I do want to, <laughs> I do want to know well, what I think, you think. I think we did a video once on like there's parts of Portugal, there's parts of the various places in the Mediterranean. I mean, Chile. Um, I mean, I think those are the ones that stand up, maybe even parts of Israel, but I mean, like Portugal, Chile, some of those places, maybe parts yeah. of even Greece, like they have that. Probably climate. Mexico too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mexico's becoming, I mean, I was telling people seven years ago or eight years ago when Trump was running, like, why are we all moving to Canada? Why are we, why are we threatening to move to Mexico? It's cheaper. It's better. <laughs> uh, the food's better. Like the weather's better. Like, I mean, you know, and people have kind of followed that perhaps, but if you go through a, a an intentional process and end up on California, I get that. And I'll tell you this, I'm spending more time in Ireland now because after all these years living in exotic places, it is nice sometimes to go in and just joke around with the waiter and talk the mm -hmm. way we're talking and not adjust. Mm -hmm. Now, the billionaire has a household staff. He never leaves the house, right? And so I can see maybe the appeal of that. You come to him in the, the fancy car. But – I, you know, I, I, I feel like um, you know, there's opportunities out there that, I mean, you just have to have, the, it's very, very hubris, very, very, very arrogant, I suppose, to say, yeah, where I'm from is the best. Why? Because it just is. And you hear that from people all over the world. It's like, wait a second, which one's the best? Now, maybe it's the best to you because you just feel comfortable and that's great. But I mean... A lot of people don't really fit in, I think, in some way, or they don't like something about it. My philosophy even is, you see a lot of, you know, the culture's changing, and not everybody likes it. I mean, are you, you're not going to change the culture of a country. Now, for some people, it's good. Other people don't like it. But, like, why not just go with the flow? If you're a business owner, go where they treat business well. Jim Rogers would tell you in 1800, you should have moved to London, 1900 New York, and 2000 to Asia. The world changes. And 
I just think it's worth kind of looking at the numbers. I mean, the U.S. passport, we did, we, we did the Nomad Passport Index. It's like the 40th best passport. Not terrible out of 200, but it's not number one. If you're a European Union citizen, you have a lot more places you can go. You have a little bit less uh, tension when you go to certain countries. You have a few more freedoms. You don't have to pay taxes to, or at least file a tax return when you live overseas. Like there's all these different benefits. Like, okay, that's better. Now, you may not want to live in those places, but it's all about kind of the arbitrage of, you know, let's say your grandmother was Irish, get the Irish passport. Now you've got one of the top passports in the world. Do you have to live there? No. But, um, you know, and meanwhile, banking in Ireland, it may, it may be safe, but like you don't get very high returns. The service not, isn't that great. Like, okay, so where do I go for that? For me, it was an idea of, you know, why do you want to have everything in one place? Now, we can debate that I used to live in it a bunch of different places, and maybe now I'm kind of narrowing it down a bit more to more of a, a wife residence than a, a, a series of mistresses and pied-a-terres. Um, <laughs> and that's just kind of the evolution of, of many years of doing it. Um, but I mean, if you look at statistics, the United States is number one in prisoner population per capita. They're number one in – well, they're not number one in obesity anymore. They're, they're not there, but they're close. We've been, we've been overtaken. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it's always been like those Pacific islands like Palau or something. And I think Mexico okay. is actually slightly more obese now. Um, okay. But, I mean, it's not number one in freedom of the press. Freedom of the, so I don't want to get overly political on you. But it just, I, it just occurred to me like the country, in my opinion, was going in the wrong direction. That statistics prove that. But people don't really – people don't make decisions based on statistics. They make decisions based on brand names, for example – and I mean, you know, if Coca-Cola started changing the recipe that it wasn't as good anymore, a lot of people would still drink Coca-Cola. It would take a while mm. to kind of fizzle out uh, before RC yeah. Cola or whatever took over um, because brands are powerful and that's what the U.S. is. Yeah, the I think the general philosophy of recognizing one, I mean, I every day at school, I had to put my hand over my heart and state the pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United yeah. States of America. And I heard that we were number one and traveling the first time I realized that not everybody. in, I mean, I think that it really sunk in was when I went abroad and studied abroad in Costa Rica in college, where I realized that not everybody agrees with the perspective that the U S is the most desirable place on the planet to live. And so the conscious, thinking through, which at this point, it's, you know, easy access to my family, a culture that I deeply understand and can interact yeah. with seamlessly, food that I enjoy, and a lot of sunshine in California is worth it to me today. But the, the conscious reflection of that and not just mindlessly signing the social contract is sort of the philosophy that I see underlining it. I'm curious, yeah. what is the like largest group or how do you see the responsibility to your country or your community or people? Because this is something that I've wrestled with. I do feel that some amount of taxes on me as someone who has been lucky enough and worked hard enough to succeed is appropriate. But is it 20, 30, 40, 50, 60%? I don't know. I just do whatever I'm told. And so I think it would yep. be healthy for me to to think through that clearly and be like, look, what is what is right? And I'll make up the difference in donations to charity if my country undertaxes me. But how do you like think through social obligation? Well, that, and that was one of the things that, that did frustrate me at one point whenever I would mention a charity. Again, by the way, I had a guy come mm -hmm. to our live event. He owns like $50 million in, in business franchises. And he said, hey, I loved your charity recommendation. Always looking for a good charity. 
Meanwhile, again, mm. it's fart sniffer 7-Eleven saying, how dare you talk about a charity? That frustrated me because to me, when you pay less to the government, either they give it in, in, in charity. I think they do a much better job with it, particularly smaller charities. My philosophy always was, since I was eight years old, running lemonade stands in Lake Avenue in Lakewood, Ohio, to you know send money to like, oh, we're, we're raising money to make sweaters for kids in Indian orphanages. I have three adopted sisters. They were all adopted from Russia um, at an older age. Um, that was always a cause for me. And I always thought, maybe go to the place where the need is greatest. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a whole list of charities we work with, um, wildlife and orphanages and developmental disabilities. Um, but it's not really in the U.S. Again, I never really felt like I fit in there. So it's like, I don't want to support these people. I do feel like I could fit in in Ireland. So I would, I, we, we could give to like Down syndrome Ireland, for example. But for me, the biggest thing is like, why don't we solve the world's biggest problems? The world's yeah. biggest problems are if you live in India and you're developmentally disabled and you don't have any parents, that's a big problem. And that's an area where people need love and they need care and they need just, just hard services. They need, you know, not just the soft stuff, but they need, you know, they need a place to live. And so that was always my thing. And so, uh, you know, I think that paying less, there's a sense of abundance when you have more money coming in, you feel better about it. You can invest more in your business. Obviously, I think that naturally, I mean, long-term for folks that don't have those issues, the average person, the best way is we go to countries where the unemployment rate is higher and we hire people and, and we create opportunities for them. It was a point of pride. The first time someone came and said, I'm making more money than both of my parents combined and I'm 25 years old and I'm working for you. Some of them went on to start their own businesses. Some of them have grown within our company. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They're having a, a bigger effect where they are. And so the taxes that we're paying on their salaries where they live, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of money for their country. Um, I think that for me, the issue is, again, if I spend more time on Ireland, I will pay something. But at least I get to choose where I'm going. And by the way, I, I, I do get a better deal because otherwise they figure people wouldn't move there. Um, but, you know, I don't want to support what the U.S. supports. Um, and, sh and the personal issues, I think, impact that. 
But, but so my issue on social obligations is help causes that are kind of, was it bottom of the pyramid or top of the pyramid, like the biggest pressing need in the world. I never understood why I got to help the guy in Lakewood, Ohio first, because we're neighbors, because the miracle of birth. Uh, I'm helping the biggest social need. Um, and then I'm going to go and I'll pay something where I think it's fair. Uh, but I'm also not going to mm-hmm. judge someone who says the natural best place for me to go is Dubai. And if Dubai doesn't want your money, I don't understand why that's what's wrong with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For let's talk about the world and then we can come back to some of the specific stuff about sure. uh, tax regimes, because I do think my audience, unlike yours, is not probably <laughs> full of super wealthy <laughs> that are going to that are probably going to be giving up passports and that sort of thing. But I saw you in an interview mention, it was probably a year or more ago, the fourth turning uh, as a broad way of viewing world events, that each generation is reactive to the one that came before it. And at some point, you can have a generation that, for lack of a better world, is spoiled by everything wonderful that has come before and doesn't have what it takes to continue the abundance that they grew up with. I'm curious, you have a it lived a lot of places. You've seen a lot of things. Can you give me a broad understanding of your sense of the direction of the world, perhaps as it relates to this like fourth turning idea? Yeah. Who's, who's ascending, who's, who's on the way down? It's pretty interesting. Um, they're talking about, you know, the, the de-dollarization and I don't take an extreme position on that, but the dollar has occupied a lower percentage of world reserves since the turn of the century. Um, you look at it from the Ukraine, Russia war. I sat next to a a guy in a plane, an Indian guy, who talked in extreme terms to me, just a guy he just met, um, about how Russia was going to win and he was with Russia, because they're with Russia. If you live in the United States, if you live in the West, you're in a certain bubble where you're like, everyone's like us, and they're not. So, I mean, India, Indonesia, Nigeria, Brazil, China, uh, they say Russia, um, those are all some of the, you know, the countries and there's plenty of smaller countries, um, where I think they're doing an entirely different thing. You go to the Balkans, for example, in Eastern Europe, um, whether it was, I'm not saying I agree with this or not, but men are men, women are women, like this very kind of old way. Like the guys are very comfortable with masculinity. Uh, you know, you'll see a guy who looks like he can bench a thousand pounds listening to like the most feminine music ever. And they have these certain roles and they're like, listen, we were communist. Uh, We've had to build from zero. They have a certain resentment, I think, of the West and particularly the US. Uh, And they're like, we're going to be a stronger culture than you are. Now, there's some other areas that perhaps holds certain regions back, but I mean, they're more worldly. They know their history. Um, They're more traditional. And whether you like that or not, I mean, I think that defines, you know, what people put into things. And I think there's a lot of countries out there like that. Um, and I think that they look at the world as being their own. I mean, they look at their best days are ahead of them. I haven't been to the U.S. Mm. in a number of years, but I would, I, from what I hear, is, a lot of people not millennials and Gen Z, they don't <laughs> think that, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, I, so yeah. have you seen have you seen that enterprising uh, mentality carried out in in the way that people do things abroad? The meaning they're they're building businesses, they're innovating, they're doing the things that are going to make them competitive on a global scale. 
Well, one of the things I talked about even 10 years ago is what I call forced entrepreneurship. I mean, there's some countries where they are developing and there are more and more jobs, but to a certain extent, you know, too many people come to the city and people have to kind of be entrepreneurs. So Indian culture, for example, if you look at Chinese culture, I mean, all throughout Southeast Asia, there's a kind of low level resentment against some of the Chinese, the people who are their country's citizens, Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, whatever, because, you know, the Chinese culture is all about if we're running a food stall selling chicken, we're just going to keep buying chicken to sell until it's one in the morning and nobody wants to come anymore. Whereas the local person might get a hundred pieces of chicken and they sell it and they know that's what they need to survive and they're going to go home and enjoy themselves. And so you can say one is good or the other is good. It's up to you. But I mean, there's a reason why they're successful. And so I think that it's, a you know, some of these cultures of forced entrepreneurship, they just know how to hustle. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, when I look at people in, you know, I was watching something to get today, you know, Gen Z and how tough it is. I realize it's more tough, but part of why it's more tough is, you know, 25 years ago, I have a home in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. It's where our event is this year. And I, I wanted to show people Kuala Lumpur because if you watch a movie, like what was the one entrapment with Sean Connery, 1998 or something, mm -hmm. the place looks like a village. You had the Petronas Towers, mm -hmm. and you had a bunch of, like, shanties. I live seven-minute walk from the Petronas Towers. I can't see the bloody things. I have a place <laughs> for my employees. Three-minute walk from the Petronas Towers. Can't see the things. You wouldn't know where they are. There's so many 50-story mm -hmm. buildings everywhere. And so that's changed. And what does that mean? It means whereas some of those folks used to be in extreme poverty, now – they make not as much as you do in the U.S., but they make more money and much more. I mean, even in Africa, great rise in the middle class. And so the world is becoming a competitive place. And so, again, I have my own bias. You know, again, I, I say to myself, why does the guy who was nasty in seventh grade that drove me and I still think about it, why should he get a job at a factory and be able to buy a five-bedroom house and three cars and the guy in Malaysia makes $2 a day? And the, there's been an equilibrium to some extent. Um, and I think that that's causing a lot of social unrest in a country like the United States. Um, I've kind of gotten over the fact we've got a couple of Americans that work for us overseas. But, you know, um, I want people with, with a work ethic. I want people who are into it. And I'm not going to judge you if you're not. But I'm also not going to say, well, why should, you know, why should we have a three-day work week and we have three months off every year and, but we still make a bunch of money and it's not going to work that way anymore. Mm -hmm. So do you, have you ever watched any of Peter Zihan's YouTube videos or are you familiar with his books at all? I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar. A lot of people talk about him, but I have not gotten that into it. I should. Got it. Yeah. And not, he's, he's an interesting guy. He views the world through a handful of lenses. One is demography. So he looks at, have you ever seen those demographic pyramids of this is how many yeah. zero to four. And he, he has one contrary to like a Ray Dalio. When he looks at China, he primarily will say, look at their demographic structure. They are in deep trouble because of the one child policy. They're going to have population collapse. Yes. And even though they have had this incredible run for the last 40 years, it was supported by a very robust, pyramid that is no longer there and so what is interesting is one of the things that he says is despite the fact that it seems in many ways to be shooting itself in the foot the united states of america has an okay demographic pyramid which is actually supplemented if we're wise by immigration from mexico immigration. if we're yeah. if we allow ourselves yes if we allow that to happen that's quite good for us 
Uh, tremendous amount of access to natural resources, shale. Uh, we are letting go of our position as the global cop. You know, we're like withdrawing from uh, that that role. And despite the fact that we have all of these internal things, which still we might <laughs> take ourselves down, that we're actually some of the best positioned for things in the future. That said, he then breaks it down by region of the U.S. and says Texas is on the up and up and all those sorts of things. But I just thought that that was an interesting analysis that added another element of, yes, you see these generational shifts where four generations out, you get not the hardworking uh, greatest generation, but you get a little bit of entitlement. On top of that, there are macro trends that are tough to push against, and they, they interact with themselves in a way that is not easy to predict. I just, certainly there's a lot of potential still in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. It scares me when I see what I think and people push back, Oh, the, the billionaires still run everything. I'm not a billionaire. I don't, I don't know any senators to call and get laws passed. Like, you know, I'm just a guy running a business. Uh, and again, people don't know the numbers. I mean, you can have a business making 10 million, 20 million, a hundred million. And you're just a guy. I mean, we see these, these are our clients, mm-hmm. some of them. Right. I mean, just cause you make $50 million a year, you just, you just sell something online. It does well. I mean, you don't have any special influence over the political system. Um, and it scares me when I see, you know, what I saw yesterday. Oh, the, if, once you make more than $3 million, you should pay 90% in tax. And I said, I go back to my high school. I said, why is it a few people have died of drug overdoses and I built a successful business? I'm not trying to make light of that. But to me, this idea, I mean, to me, it's all about your, your, your family. It's all about the upbringing. We have people who make $3 million a year in Morocco because it's finally possible. And so I think that outside of the West, people's sensibilities are a little bit different and they're going to have a much bigger voice and they're going to start banding together. And I'm not saying the West is going to die, but I'm saying that people like myself or perhaps like some of what those other places have to offer, um, whether it's social, whether it's freedom, whether it's just a more laid back lifestyle. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's nice to go to a restaurant in Belgrade and it's just old school and you sit there for six hours and people are smoking around you and it's kind of nice. I don't exactly know how much of each everyone should take, but I think that um, all these other places that are not U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe um, have a lot more influence, and their demographics mm-hmm. are even better. The U.S. is not terrible, and the U.S. has a culture of entrepreneurship, but I think you will start to see the culture of entrepreneurship in places like India have more of an effect. Yeah. All right. Let's talk uh, tactically. So. One of the only things that people in the U.S., and correct me if I'm wrong, can do without renouncing their citizenship is they can sh- change states. So that will change their state taxes or there's this thing that may not exist in the future, which is Puerto Rico. What's going on there? Because I know that you've got your Logan Pauls and a bunch of people who yeah. have these massive earning years and have chosen to reside in Puerto Rico, where my understanding is it's very low tax in Puerto Rico, almost none. From zero to four, depending on what you're doing. And it's so wow. there's a couple of things you can do. Obviously, you can move states, which to me is kind of like people say, oh, I don't want to move overseas. The kids have to change schools. Well, if you move from California to Arizona, they're still changing schools. And I would argue moving from like New York to somewhere in the south, I mean, that's more of a demographic or more of a you know psychographic change than moving to Ireland, for example, where you could get a low tax mm-hmm. deal. But OK, fine. You can change states. Um, you can live overseas and you can pay something. I mean, you could pay between zero and 10 percent, for example. You're going to have some more restrictions, and it's going to be a pain if you're living in, let's say, Europe, where they have some taxes and there's treaties, and you got to like flesh out what goes where. 
it's a bit of a hassle. It's probably easier tr- to go to. Is that true without giving up citizenship? I thought I thought yeah. I was under the impression that you had a fixed federal rate no matter where you lived in the world if you were a U.S. citizen. Am I incorrect? So, there? so what? Like what a crypto person or an investor or someone okay. with royalties would do, perhaps so they might want to go to Puerto Rico. If you're like me and you run a business, I lived overseas for years as an American, and I paid zero or close to zero because I used my personal foreign earned income exclusion. But then so you can take a salary from your own business. Your business is overseas. There's restrictions on what that business can do, which is why like one of my homes is owned by an old company I have. Nobody understands it in the company mm-hmm. jurisdiction, in the real estate jurisdiction. I'm like, it was for U.S. tax purposes. So I was able to pay mm-hmm. zero. Now it's a bit more complicated, and you, but you can pay you know zero or single digits or 10 potentially. And, and some people can still pay zero. And I probably would have been able to still pay zero. It's just, I, I, to me, it was just like, you guys are going to keep making my life more complicated. I don't even want to live in your country. I'm kind of embarrassed to be from your country. I just, I'm done. Um, and, but yeah, you can, you can live. I mean, if you live in Dubai as an American, you can probably get your tax rate to 10% or below. Um, if mm. you just want to go to Puerto Rico, now you have to spend more, most of your time away. So Puerto Rico allows you to get it closer to half. Um, and, you know, and it's also better for like investors, whereas the, the living overseas is you have a business. So if you're a stock trader, a Bitcoin guy, whatever, that's not really going to work very well. That's where renouncing comes in. Or if you're just like, I don't want to pay anything at all, which is not most people. Most people have to keep U.S. citizenship. They like it. They'll pay 5% or something, right? Even though they think mm-hmm. it's not fair. So the renunciation, give up your citizenship. It depends. I mean, if you are British or Irish or Australian, you're probably going to be able to come back and visit. They're probably not going to give you a hard time. If you're a Caribbean citizen where you just bought the passport for $100,000, they might look askance at you when you go to apply for a visa. Uh, that said, people have come back with those passports. So, you know, there's, it's, it's moving states, then it's Puerto Rico, then it's living offshore um, for the majority of the year, whereas Puerto Rico might be six, seven months. Uh, and then it's if you just want to be totally done with it all, it's renunciation. The U.S., by the way, is the only country, effectively, we're starting to see more. Australia is kind of flirting with it, uh, where you, you can't just leave. If you're mm-hmm. Irish and you're just like, hey, next year I'm going to spend fewer than 30 days, that resets your clock. Your residence status is out. You're done. You're our citizen, but you don't owe us any money. So the U.S. is unique yeah. in that regard. And so I think it's kind of when people say, oh, like you just don't want to pay. Oh, like some of the people saying that are the British expats living in Dubai, not paying. It's like, wait a second, you you have a better situation, right? But but that's what you can do. Mm-hmm. Do you think that these uh, loopholes, let's call it Puerto Rico, because I know that whatever's happening in the IRS, they're not hoping that a bunch of multimillionaire influencers <laughs> go locate themselves in Puerto Rico and stop paying taxes. Do you think that that sort of thing is going to be closed well, anytime soon? I will say this. And, and maybe people in the audience or my audience won't like me for saying this, but we work I mean, as a general contractor. We work with a lot of tax attorneys and CPAs to deliver the work when it comes to putting things on letterheads, et cetera. And I think I buy into what most of them believe, which is the IRS, their job is to enforce the tax law. I don't think the IRS has an issue. Maybe the IRS commissioner or political appointee, but the IRS, if you follow the rules, you get the benefits. Now, the politicians, on the other hand, do they want people moving to Puerto Rico? No. Um, I would argue if the, if the U.S. is a country of the rule of law, um, I mean, it's going to go on for a number of more years. What happens after that? I mean, obviously, they're pushing for Puerto Rico statehood. 
obviously some of the Puerto Ricans don't like it. It's like, wait a second, your, your place was falling apart. I mean, this money was supposed to be, you know, to help because um, they are paying something. You have to pay yourself a salary and pay normal tax on that and, you know, uh, pay 4%. I mean, you know, people are still paying something down there, generally speaking. I think eventually they will get rid of it. I'd like to think that, you know, they're not going to just like upend it. But who knows if they if they just totally got rid of it, I would say you have no rule of law because it was like, here are the terms of the deal. Eventually, that kind of stuff will mm -hmm. probably go away. The Elizabeth Warrens and whoever else it is, they don't like you having options, which, again, I mean, I thought the, I mean, the one thing the U.S. has is it has entrepreneurs. People tell me from Canada, from Australia, we have tall poppy syndrome, as you said. In the U.S., they say it's still better. Now, for me, I had this innate extreme drive. I said, I don't really care where I'm at. I'll, 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 just, I'll just do it there, tall poppy or not. But, you know, that whole thing is built on competition. Why shouldn't people have competition? Why shouldn't there be competition for where to live? Why should – I mean, like, if, if people don't want to live there – I mean, I saw Gavin Newsom, governor of California, recently saying, you know, maybe it's a badge of honor that people start their business, businesses here and then move them somewhere else. Like we incubated them. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a fair point. I think he did a decent interview. I think it was with Sean Hannity. But then I, he loses me when he's like, you know, you should have to pay the piper forever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I paid plenty to the IRS. I paid more than most people. Most people complaining because they paid their $800 this year. Believe me, I was paying a lot more than $800. And now I no longer use the services. I don't know why we don't encourage that competition. But I, I, I think that they don't see it that way because the average person – there's a jealousy, which again, I, I just don't, I mean, people in general are jealous, but I think that there's perhaps more of a willingness in some of these other countries to say, yeah, we need some cash. Bring those people in. Mm -hmm. Do you have a perspective, what you were just saying, it doesn't require a complete shift in the relationship of citizen to state, but some of the talk that I've heard about crypto, which I'm no, not an expert in, theorizes this pretty dramatic shift in terms of how people engage with the state. So if you don't have this fiat currency and you're doing decentralized this and you can have, I don't, I don't understand it entirely, but I'm, I'm curious if you think that beyond simply moving from one state to another, because that's better. If you see the relationship between citizen and state shifting in, I don't know, the next several decades. Well, the other book that you you mentioned, the fourth turning, another book is perhaps the sovereign individual. I, I suppose. Uh huh. I mean, I suppose there will be some shifting of that. I, I look at all these things. I mean, again, there's people in our adjacent communities that act like you know the dollar is going to be out of business tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Things happen in the margins. Seventy-one percent to I think fifty-six percent of the world reserves in twenty-two years is actually pretty dramatic. But you can still call that marginal. It happened, you know, one chunk at a time. I would imagine that happens with government. But you know what I think is that, you know, most people still are going to – like you could reset everything. You could take everything. You could, you could have total anarchy. And what are people going to do the next day? They're going to rebuild some semblance of a government. And I think much yeah. the same way that for <laughs> me – like, like there's, there's days that I say to myself, what if I just ran the business as a solopreneur? I got 60 people. What if they were all gone? And I was just like, you know – Send in the order form via email. I'll serve you. Like you know, I'll bring whatever. You know, one or two or three guys. You know what would happen? I would like be like, I got to build this back. Right? I would. I wouldn't be contented. I'd be like, how do I? How do I scale yeah. it? And I think that's how people look at uh, the government. Like they're not going to be. Con like they want some semblance of who who's in charge. 
Oh, uh, but how, how do we do this? Like people are going to fight, like we need some rules and then it's just going to scale mm-hmm. over time. And I, and I think to that extent, the challenge that people in the digital nomad space, the crypto space, I'm not saying you won't see marginal changes. And again, 71 to 56% of, of reserves being dollars. I mean, that's, 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 that's kind of dramatic, but you're, I, this idea it's, it's again, it's kind of egotistical to think that like everyone's going to be a digital nomad. Why? Because you want to be. Everyone talks about remote work. We own three offices. Uh, when we went to the people in Armenia and said, hey, we're thinking of selling the office. You can work from home. They're like, no, please, please. They were the same ones like, when are we getting an office? We bought it. We renovated yeah. it. They want to work at an office. That's their culture. <laughs> this idea that everyone on earth. No. And it just it speaks to this. I live in some suburb in the U.S., where the people I know want to work from home and want to get DoorDash and want to do this and want to do that, and we're doing the crypto. It's it's like everyone in 1984 on like November 5th or whatever who said in New York City, how did Reagan win? No one I know voted for Reagan, and it's like yeah, the guy wanted a landslide because we all have our own little bubbles, and I think that again we we've worked with a lot of crypto people and I and I love them, but um, I, I think to say that like. You know, the ones who say, oh, let's have not have regulation. I get I get the pitch for that. I get like, let's get the government out. You're not going to have wide adoption of something that's the Wild West. Yeah, I tend to agree, because if you look at crypto, it's they're almost speed running the reason that we have the SEC and all of these other bodies that people complain about at some level, because you get all the things that happen, which is you get different kinds of fraud and you get rug pulls and you get uh the Wild West, as you described it, of these things. The other thing that I see as a non-expert is the general arc of history seems to be towards more centralization of governing bodies. And if you look at the last 15 years, it might look, oh, maybe it's fragmenting or breaking down. But it does seem like you start with tribes, then you get to, I don't know, fiefdoms, nation states, then you have the UN. And the next thing is actually probably some sort of global order, which uh, doesn't need to necessarily be dystopian to to be the direction that things are headed. More people should use the word fiefdom, by the way. I think that's an underutilized word. <laughs> um, but what was the statistic I just saw? And I'll break this down because you mentioned the UN and people talk about like the new world order. Again, I think that kind of flies in the face of, I live in the West. I only see that people say, oh, moving overseas won't help. I say, why? Do you think Canada's any better? I said, I never told you to go to Canada. I said, think about a place you never would have thought about. And again, look at Eastern Europe, for example. I've talked a lot about Georgia, the country of Georgia. They had a president. We had him at our one of our events. Uh, he changed. The, he turned the place upside down because it was such a mess. And it was small enough that you could just flip the place upside down. It went from being a total disaster to being one of the freest economies in the world. They're starting to backtrack a little bit. But it's still up there. It was higher than the U.S. for a while. It was communist in your lifetime and was freer as an economy than the United States. And people need to realize that when it's like, oh, there's nowhere to go. Believe me, there are places to go where the people don't you know, share. Um, but I saw the stat recently out of Gen Z. I, I hope this is almost like a joke. 30% of Gen Z in the West or the U.S. perhaps said we should have security cameras inside your house that people are monitoring to prevent things like domestic violence. Obviously, mm. let me be clear, because there's no nuance on the internet, not a fan of yeah. domestic violence, but yeah. we're going to put surveillance cameras inside everyone's house and a third of the people are going to say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And you're moving. Are you kidding me? 
And we're going yeah, well, to I mean, have less got, government in this country, right really. <laughs> well. I mean, that's how I felt about my Amazon Alexa. I was like, I have a security. Uh, there's there's somebody who's recording everything that I say. I, did, I got rid of my Alexa. because so I was like, this thing just turns on constantly. So that was, I, that I, was it for me. I, when we were in Mexico, uh, before one of our events, we stayed in this like, you know, vacation rental. Um, and they had like a bunch of these, I'm just like, we're just like unplug them all because we've been living like away from this stuff. Like I, it, it is, it's a little too much. If you're living in the U S I guess you'd be accepted. I I'm just like, it's, that's too much. I don't, I don't want this stuff around. I don't need to like announce. I can push a button on my phone for my music. Yes. Yeah. No, I had the same thought. The, the cost benefit here. I just. What you know? I want to run for president someday. They play back whatever the hell I said. But I don't, I don't want to do that that game with the Amazon. Well, by the way, uh, to, your, to our to our earlier point, I mean, I think you'd realize. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I think Trump wanted to run for president for forty years, and he thought, like, if only I'm president, uh, like that'll be like finally I'll feel like you know like I've accomplished something. And I think he got that. I think anything where you think if you accomplish X. I mean, you think that Donald Trump really is like, oh, I'm, I was the president. Like, I've really made something of myself. I mean, he's still frustrated by the people who don't like him. I mean, it, it, really, you're going to be the president. Everyone's going to love you. I mean, of course not. But, you know, yeah, the, the fact that there's no accomplishment, you're like, all right, fine. I'm good now. That's a great way to segment, I think, to sort of the ending thing, which is what next for you, given that you do seem to uh, – I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, the gas that gets you to your first level of success, at some point you go, ooh, this is burning me too. Like this is, this is coming from a hole and this is an unquenchable hunger. So what is next for you? I, I'm asking myself the same questions. Like how do I move forward without this need to prove myself, but still find a way for me, it's to give authentically and to speak the things that I feel need that are coming and I want to share and speak. So what's what's next for you? I've never really set targets for myself in that regard mm-hmm. in the sense of I think if you just do the work, and in this case, the work is partially the personal work, the self-awareness, the understanding yourself mm-hmm. and working on that stuff and improving the foundations around you and improving the people around you. I can tell you I've, I've had some days recently where it's just incredibly fulfilling to say, wow, I made some mistakes. And I'm really making progress on, I feel like I'm so closer than ever on, on, on having that proper, totally proper foundation. So that's something to do. Um, you know, what, what's the phrase? Like we spend the first years of our life, like trying to be, and then the next years, like realizing nobody cares. Um, <laughs> I think it's about doing what you're passionate about. And so I had to kind of talk, since you mentioned this video, it was my birthday last year, October 21st. It's, it's if nothing else, getting that out there helped me have an awareness of, you know what, people do care about what we're doing. People value this. Some people might take it the wrong way. Some people might be the ones to say, I don't want to pay taxes and I'm not giving to the charity and you have to take the good with the bad. But it's, I'm having an impact. And I say to myself, what if I were going to run some other business? I, I don't know what, what, I mean, better business there would be in many regards. Um, I'm going to go run another pool service and make 20% margins and have to have 400 employees and like it all in one place. And if something happens, I mean, it's, I, I've got a great situation. Um, so I think what's next is, uh, taking it day by day and realizing, you know, what makes me happy today. One of the things I'd like to explore more is the best that each place has to offer just on a personal level. I have wanted for years and I've allowed some of the overwhelm of the business to stop me. We had a huge during COVID. I mean, it just 4X every year for like two and a half years in a row. 
I'd like to just go and say, who's the foremost expert on rum? Where's that guy live? And I'm going to go, we're going to, we're going to spend a week and like really explore the softer side of going where you're treated best. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I think some of the, some of my favorite wines are in places like Georgia. Um, like why would I drink wine from somewhere else? I, you know, I mean, just exploring some of that stuff that, you know, you, you enjoying the fruits of your labor, uh, being aware of the influence that you have, not taking it for granted. And I think we, you know, we, we, what we talked about causes you to kind of take it for granted. I mean, what, what, what you do, I think is extremely impactful And yet I would imagine we're all so focused on ourselves, but if I step, step back, I would imagine that when you are in the day-to-day of what you do, you probably don't see the entire impact that it has. And of I think elevating so. yourself above that, enjoying some of the fruits of the labor, um, are, are two very good things to do. I don't know that it's like next I'm starting, uh, you know, some new thing. I, I, yeah. I just think it's kind of dialing into that piece. And I think from there you'll kind of figure out what's next. Yeah. Well, I, as you were talking, I had this vision, you could call it of this conversation and that video that we discussed have a somewhat different vibe from the other videos, which are a lot about finances and passport regimes and, and traveling and what you just discussed, I feel like would fit so well with your channel, like the best wines in the world, you know, tasting the best wines in the world or, or the most incredible experiences you can have in Thailand. It would be fun to film, tax deductible, <laughs> and I actually think could bring in a, in a, in a whole new audience. And well, I don't your know tax if that interests like you, but I went. Well, tax deductible. <laughs> you sorry. don't care see for me for me tax deductible is every it's like whoa that's right. <laughs> that's gonna change uh that's that's a 40 percent deduction right there yeah. but that kind of uh, that to me is would be such a cool and interesting direction not to push you in any direction that you don't want to go but i know that i would be interested in that kind of content because for me what i connect to about your philosophy is that it isn't simply about where do i get the most dollars when i move it's what kind yep. of experience do I get to have in these different places? And I think that could be so cool to see. That's my ultimate question that I asked you is, okay, I like the experience of California. I want to know about similar experiences in other places, maybe Mexico or Mediterranean or Portugal, like you mentioned. So uh, that would just be very cool. I think that could fit what you guys do. Yeah. Well, I think we'll do it. I, th- I think what we, we already experienced is the algorithm and, and you know more about this. Uh, you know, it's probably has to be its own mm. entity almost. And it's, it's, so it's got a, got a slower yes. start because you wonder like, is that going to be a 40 minute video versus like the 15 minute video? And then you, your ABD is all off. And so that's, mm. there's kind of a technical equation to that. But no, I think, I think we'll finally do that. By the way, one of the things that we've accomplished that I'm a believer in is insourcing. Um, we just said, listen, we're going to, we're going to hire a bunch of videographers and, and editors to be in house. And you would think, okay, like our company's not so big. We don't put out that much content. Um, that we need that. But I said, let's overstaff with people who believe in the vision and come in house. And that was one area where we were more, you know, freelance oriented, like long-term good relationships with freelancers, but it just, it wasn't quite there um, to have people who totally cared about solving those last remaining problems to free up that bandwidth, to go and create that extra content. I think now we're there as a result of insourcing. Um, so that's kind of another technical piece about it, but no, I, I agree with you. And I think from, uh, from me, I've never wanted to judge why someone does this for me. I've been very clear. I did not expatriate really from a, for a financial reason. Um, but I'm not going to judge someone where they're like, listen, I can, I can give up my passport and save a bunch of money on my crypto. 
that's what they want to do. That's what's important to them. That's fine. Obviously, you know, saving money on tax is something that's very easily quantifiable and they're easy, easy to sell. But to your point, yeah, what's the value of living in a place with a better pace of life, better social opportunities, um, more in line with your values or your politics or whatever else? Um, you know, for me, Ireland's a place people are very calm and welcoming, but it has a lot of the convenience of the of the Western world in a way that it might not feel in the United States. And so there's a value on that. It's just harder to quantify. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It also, I'm, I'm thinking it because this is where my brain goes immediately. That type of content is YouTube crack cocaine right there. So, you know, the best wines and, you know, tasting the 10 For best sure. wines in the world or the absolute best beaches to go to. Uh, so if, if it's right for you guys, I hope that you go that direction. I know that I would be eager to watch. I think you might see, I think you'll see probably more of that kind of stuff. I, I, I enjoy creating it. And by the way, you know, what I found is the more we talked about just like normal, like I'm starting to do more of these whiteboard things, people are pretty complimentary. What we, I think found is we probably went down too much the rabbit hole of some of what I would call the red meat stuff where you get people who aren't normally watching your channel. Mm-hmm. And they just they kind of goes more viral, and now you got these new people watching who don't really know the shtick, and they're the ones who bring the negativity. And you kind of like, yeah. oh, my audience. It's like, no, no, no. The people who like when you made a video on the World Economic Forum and like, hey, come on, let's you know, if you move here, it's going to be less of an issue if that's your concern. Everyone who's like, no, 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 like they come in. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. Andrew T- Andrew Tate. You make a video on Andrew Tate. <laughs> Like all the Andrew Tate guys are going to come and watch, and I'm, yes. I don't have a you know I'm not like super strong opinion either way, um, and that's the challenge. By the way, if it's not like everything this person does is perfect, Trump's another one, right? Everyone comes in. That's not your audience. Yes, yes. The way that that I've thought about it is some of the videos you cast this really wide net, and you're going to get yeah. all types. You know, you're going to do your Andrew Tate video, and it's going to bring in people that maybe make your comment section not as hospitable as it once was. But what you're actually looking for are the people that saw the video that didn't comment, which is by far the vast majority, the 99.9% of people that have a cursory interest in Andrew Tate and aren't diehard fans, but know him because he's big in the news. Click that video, and now the algorithm's like, let's let's offer him this other one. And I, I, do, I couldn't tell you what the first video that I saw from you was, but I'm positive I wasn't searching you know, visas right. or anything, but I have wound, but I have wound up on those videos probably because you did something about California or, you know, or right. something that related to that, uh, to, you know, a cultural interest or something very particular to me. Um, so I have, I have, we have the same thoughts. We did an Andrew Tate video and his fans all come in. The hope is not that we create comment section full of Tate fanboys, but that some of those silent watchers click something else, click something else. And then, you know, maybe become customers in the future. I remember working adjacent to talk radio and growing up around it with my father. I mean, what was the metric? 1% of people to talk radio ever, yeah. like lifetime call in. Now, maybe it's more mm-hmm. than that in the comments section, but do you know how many people that we've worked with yeah. were very successful? Like, I've never left a comment in my life. In their life, in their life, no. And so that's one of the things that I, I mean, I say this to a lot of the creators I know, which is the YouTube dashboard is designed to make you insane. It's not designed to help your business because it's got those little green arrows when you've got higher watch time and you got a one of 10, but it tells you nothing about your average customer value, the number of sales you're making, the number of diehard fans you make, the amount of goodwill that you put into the bank by opening up about an emotional story. And so- I've had to like very consciously stay away from comments and an over-reliance on those analytics because they do not 
one-to-one track to the metrics that I actually care about. Well, I think if you go back to the very beginning, there's probably, I mean, social media is dopamine, but for the creator, mm-hmm. you want to be, oh, this one's one of the 10. Oh, and then the next day is one of the, we, we, we recently had that where it's <laughs> kind of like a, like a ricochet effect. Oh, this is, this is so great. Yeah. But right. This but then you, but, but then, but then you go back to the, the point where we just started out on and you think, oh, what if there's going to be that guy who's out there that if you create more content that connects with that person, that's going to pay you, that's going to make more money that, oh, look at him. The numbers have gone down a little bit. Again, radio analogy. I mean, how many, I think it's kind of slowing down now, but for 20 years, you had all these sports radio stations that would get like 1% or less of the audience, but they would make a ton of money because, mm-hmm. you know, sports radio, it's men 35 to 54 who have some cash. You want to buy a sports car? You want to go to the game? Like, you know, you can sell them stuff. That's valuable. And so, you know, you can make fun of their low ratings. But what they called the power ratio was they they brought in money or a business talk radio station does that and I think in YouTube it's it's the same you know thing where but I, but I think there's the personal level as the creator which is why you need the right team that kind of isolates you from some of those things where it's like you almost imagine someone's going to be sitting there like cackling how you have twenty percent fewer views because you chose to focus mm. on what actually fulfills you rings the cast register. And you're like, I don't want that guy over there who I know doesn't like me to make fun of me for going down because he doesn't know the reason, but I don't want, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I very much know what you mean. And that is the, I've been frustrated with it in myself, but that's sort of the beauty of that challenge is that it it will not go away until I, for myself, heal the part of myself that imagines yep. that person, cares what that person thinks, and yep. is so easily separated from my core value, which is, gosh, if I move in the direction of the things that I want, it's like more people will get more help. I will be creating things that I love. And while it might take a slightly longer time, the curve is a hockey stick versus if you chase the algorithm, yeah, you get that linear or that number one out of 10 growth, but you peter out, it doesn't work. So it's, uh, it's, I see the value of the, of me continually struggling with some of those temptations to do the thing that gets the most views or fall into audience capture. And uh, it just exposes the part of me that, you know, wants validation and wants to be liked and wants, you know, the, the part of me that, that was interested in learning social skills in the first place. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. Yes. So, well, where can, uh, where can people find you? So maybe one of the best places to start, I wrote a book since I was, Seven years old, I wrote a better book. It's called Nomad Capitalist. It's on Amazon. It does not have every passport program or every tax loophole in the book, but it talks about a lot of stories all aggregated in one place. That's probably a good place to start. Of course, uh, we're on YouTube, um, Nomad Capitalist, um, and nomadcapitalist.com. And then we'll be in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia for our little uh, live event. Uh, I think it's probably when is the that? Biggest. It's, a, it's uh, September 6th, the 9th. Uh, it's perhaps not a little event anymore. I mean, it's, it's a great gathering of hundreds of folks from around the world who are successful and who I think probably see it as a place to find a bunch of people who are like them. Because one of the things about what we do, people tend to think you're a little nuts. Like, wait a second, you're going to move to where? You're going to do what? Like, why are you getting Italian citizenship from your great grandfather? Like, isn't American enough? And they're like, I want to go hang out with people who are like me. Um, so that's coming up September 6th of the 9th. Um, and that's a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think that probably 
the mistake I've made is we should be everywhere, which you think is, oh, that's not a mistake. That's good. And then I see people who are like, oh, no, they just do YouTube. You know, they just do TikTok and they just mm. do this. But but you know, we're, we're everywhere. No capitalists. But, you know, the book's a good place to start. Beautiful. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, my pleasure. Big, big fan of yours. Thank you for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.